so this week marks the true start of the holiday season. I know that Mariah Carey famously proclaims that it's time every year the day after Halloween, the minute the clock strikes midnight on November 1st. But I have a hard time getting into the holiday vibes until Thanksgiving. I go home every year to DC, spend time with family, try to unplug, chill with the dogs, eat a lot. And that really is what gets me in the festive mood. That being said, I started getting the feels a week early this year as I started prepping for today's episode of Gapping with Gib, which features a long chat with Danny Pellegrino. Danny is the host of Everything Iconic, a prolific podcast on which he recaps Bravo shows, talks about pop culture, and interviews celebrities. Danny has always been such a light in the online community around Bravo, and there have been numerous times over the years where he's made an effort to support me, and I've tried to do the same for him. Even though his platform is much bigger than mine, I feel connected to Danny in a real way, and I think we have similar outlooks on this world we're both part of. Also, something that made me LOL was when looking at Danny's name on my booking schedule, I realized that a few weeks in, he's my first male guest on the show, which honestly tracks. We only welcome, to paraphrase a signature Dannyism, king icon legends on Gabby with Gib, and Danny is nothing if not iconic. Another thing that I really appreciate about Danny, and it's something that I think sets him apart, is his nod towards nostalgia. Not in a general, trendy, co-opting Y2K kind of way. His spectrum of references is top tier and specific, and he has such a knack for pulling out a relic from the 90s that you completely forgot about, yet somehow lives rent-free in his own head. There's a comfort in knowing that any given day, you'll open up Instagram and Danny will have posted a throwback Jessica Simpson performance or a toy commercial from the 90s or an ad for an extinct kid snack that you suddenly start to crave again. And for his latest project, Danny tapped into his nostalgia once more. In his recently released book, The Jolliest Bunch, Danny shares a collection of hilarious and tender and comforting and reflective holiday stories from his past that made me laugh and cry and also had me tapping into my holiday spirit a bit early, which was a welcome change for me. For today's episode, I wanted to talk to Danny a bit about his great new book, which is his third. His first was the cocktail book, Fancy AF Cocktails, which he wrote with Ariana Maddox and Tom Sandoval, throwback. And his second was the best-selling How Do I Unremember This, a similarly heartbreaking and funny collection of stories from throughout his life. After touching on The Jolliest Bunch, which I have linked in the show notes in case this inspires you to order a copy, Danny and I switched gears and touched down on every single Real Housewives franchise. We couldn't help ourselves. First, we talked about those of which are airing, then into the ones that recently wrapped up their seasons, and then to the few that have seasons coming up. We had 45 minutes to talk about all nine franchises, but even so, I don't think we moved too quickly. But we did keep it fairly high level, talking about what we're liking, what we're not, and what we hope to see, with some laughs and theories and predictions in between. Before we get to my conversation with Danny, note that I was still in Mexico when we chatted and recording conditions were definitely not optimal, and I'm still figuring out the best way for me to record while on the go. So that's why my audio hasn't been as clean in these last few episodes. I'll figure it out next time, I promise. And I also wanted to say that there are a lot of new listeners this week following our most popular episode yet with Sam Bush, aka Bravo Historian, last week, where we talked about Southern Charm and Summer House and Vanderpump Rules and Winter House. So first of all, thank you for listening. I'm excited to have you here. And I'd love if you could take a quick sec to make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or following Gabbing with Gib on Spotify. And if you're doing that already, if you could give us a five-star rating or review to continue supporting us, that would be greatly appreciated. You can also watch full episodes over on youtube.com slash at gabbingwithgib and follow us on TikTok or Instagram at gabbingwithgib to see clips from each episode. Anyway, enjoy my fun conversation with Danny and make sure to add the jolliest bunch to your reading list this holiday season. I promise it will get you in the mood to celebrate and give you an even greater appreciation for your loved ones, which is really what it's all about. I want to gab. All right, so today we're gabbing with King Icon Legend and best-selling author Danny Pellegrino. If you're listening to this podcast, it's very likely you're already a huge fan of his, but in case you aren't aware, he's the host of the Uber popular Everything Iconic podcast and is coming off the release of his third book, The Jolliest Bunch, Unhinged Holiday Stories, which I've been binge reading ever since we've uh, booked this interview. And uh, I've been chuckling to myself and also tearing up. It's it's honestly amazing. And it's just what the doctor ordered, I think, for this time of year. So Danny, I know you're a busy man and I so appreciate you being here. How are you? Thank you, Gibson. No, I'm so excited to talk to you and I'm honored you're reading it. I know uh, it's been interesting because the book came out in October and I've been trying to uh, get people to read it and I know it's holiday themed. So I'm so thrilled now that we're entering November and people are starting to pick it up. It just feels so 
overwhelming that people are responding so well to it. And I don't, I think a lot of people didn't really know what to expect because it's like holiday book. What does that mean? Uh, so thank you. Fully transparently, I was going to save it until after Thanksgiving to start reading it to really get myself in the mood for the holidays. But I'm glad I'm reading it now because it's also, it's not just about the Christmas time holidays. There's there's Thanksgiving, there's Halloween, there are other kind of stories in it that I think it just, it's about this time of year. And I think it's really, it, it just feels really comforting. Thank you. Thank you. I want it to feel like a, a warm hug that's really funny. And then it has the heart and a little bit of drama too, but thank you. Why did doing a holiday themed collection of stories feel like the right move after uh, your first solo book? Yes, when I did uh, my last book, How Do I Remember This? There were so many stories that I had in there that were holiday themed and it just uh, felt right. My dream was that the publisher would allow me to do this holiday one. So I saved some of the stories that I was writing and then just continued writing. And And I love, uh, David Sedaris has a great holiday collection, Holidays on Ice. And Gene Shepard has a great holiday collection that was uh, the movie Christmas Story is based on. And so I love picking up those books every year. Even Skipping Christmas is something that I reread every year. And so it was just a dream of mine to be one of those books that people can pick up year after year and and find some comfort in. And so I love the holidays. I've hosted a holiday movie podcast for five years now, and I, I just love Christmas. So I yeah, that was always the dream. It's part of the brand. It's definitely part of the brand. And and I didn't actually, I didn't realize that The Jolliest Bunch, it, it, the, the book starts with a quote from Christmas Vacation, which is you know, a canon of a movie. And it's, it's an allusion to an, a quote from that movie, which I love. It feels very yeah. Young. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Clark Griswold. The Griswolds in general always reminded me so much of my family. And there's a lot of chaotic family stories in the book. And so, uh, yeah, in, in that movie, Christmas Vacation, he says, uh, Santa's going to squeeze his ass down the chimney and see the jolliest bunch of assholes the side of the nut house. So it, it felt like it fit too, because it's a collection of stories and, yeah, and it kind of has, I like to think of it as like, Christmas vacation in a book. And I keep yeah. thinking of my, my last collection, how do I remember this is sort of like the National Lampoon's regular vacation in a book. And so it's, I, I mean, at least uh, a little bit inspired by those movies. Okay, so ne next we need Vegas, uh, the Vegas stories. Oh my God. And Gibson, last I saw you and it was in Vegas. And it was I mean, Vegas, what a chaotic time, BravoCon. Have you recovered? It took me a very long time to recover, to be honest. Like I was knocked the fuck out from that. But as like chaotic as it was, I actually do think that it was the calmest yet. I thought it was like the most, the most well-planned. It didn't feel didn't feel chaotic to me necessarily, but it's, it just takes so much out of you. Yeah. I hope they do it in Vegas again. Cause I thought it was just a perfect place for it. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a Vegas fan anyway. So I, I would be happy to go there with or without BravoCon, but I hope they keep doing it there. Cause I thought it was so fun. No, me too. But it's hard. I saw you in the press room, but it, it's hard to like, there's, it's so sensory overload. There's like friends that I wanted to see and I know. have dinner or lunch with that is like, you just didn't even get to run into because it was so spread out. And uh, even Bravo celebrities and stuff. It's like, I, I was hoping to see Dorinda. I love Dorinda. I know. I didn't I, see I, any of missing each other. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things where it's like, you run into who you're going to, who you run into, but like, you just... I mean, there, there's probably a list of 200 people I wanted to see, you know, and, and we we had a really brief moment, but like, I would have loved more time with you, but like, it's, we're all kind of going in different directions that weekend. And it's, it's our work conference, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it felt like, I mean, it is work too. But, and then there are some people that you keep running into. I felt like I ran into Craig Conover like a million times. Um, <laughs> but like, um, of course, which was great. He, he's the first man of Bravo. I think that's what BravoCon proves to me year after year is that he is like the number one man of that group. <laughs> I know. I, you know, I had turned on him for a couple of years and I think I'm back on board with him because I always, I, very much I used to love Craigie and then, and I told him this to his face and sometimes maybe you probably shouldn't say these things to their faces, but because we think of them as like characters on our show, I was like, Craig, I hated you for a while. <laughs> and then he was probably thinking like, why is he telling me this? But um, I, yeah, I told him, I was like, you had some really bad seasons in there. Like you were acting a little bit, you know, he was being a demon a little bit on TV, but he is a sweet man. And also I don't think his hotness translates to TV. So, oh yeah, I, well, it's it's funny. I just had um, Sam Bush from Bravo Historian or Bravo Historian on, and we talked about how, like, with Austin, it's like you don't, you definitely don't get that on TV, but in person, you sort of, kind of understand oh, it sometimes. No, I disagree Not for with you. you on that. Okay, no. okay, okay. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I agree with Craig 100, percent but with Austin, I kind of get it. I just have to admit, like, I hate to admit it. To be fair, Austin was someone I didn't run into on this uh, BravoCon weekend. So maybe I would feel differently <laughs> if I, I did, but 
I think I tried to steer clear of. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's uh, that's healthy, I think. Yeah, but all of those guys, I think, do come across better now that they're not on a hundred shows. Like, I don't think it serves them well to be on Winter House, Summer House, and Southern Charm because we just much. get tired of them, Absolutely and agree. we we see all the bad sides of them. And so I think, if if anything, for any of them, and it's same with like Paige and some of the other gals too. It's like I would say stick to one show and do like one show really well instead of doing these spinoffs because it's not serving them at all. I don't think. I, I agree. I kind of, I personally think that Winter House is maybe reaching its expiration date soon. I agree. But, we need to yeah. stop that. We yeah. Need, it's, it's, I was, it's, it's just not really serving a purpose. I don't think. No, I was hopeful. This first episode I really liked. And then I just feel like now it's so chaotic. I don't know who's even in the cast. I don't think they know who's in the cast. It's so many below deck people, which is their ratings darling on Bravo. So it's like, that's, I think why they I don't watch it. Through. Right. I don't, yeah, I don't either. And I mean, I knew, like I knew Riley, I, I had watched it when Riley was on. And of course, Captain Sandy is coming in there. And Malia was the last season I had watched because, and I hate, I did not care for her on her right. last, the last I've heard, season I watched. I've not heard great things. Yeah, totally. Ugh. So then to have all these people in a house and then it also, I'm sorry, but it, it feels like a, half the cast is flop class. <laughs> Wait, well, it's just, sorry, it's, my, it's, it, no, no, it, my it, words I just, are mixing up, but it's a flop. Half the cast is a flop. It's one of those things. I think, you know, we, in past seasons of winter house, it worked kind of just because we had things that were intriguing going into that season. And now it's like, what are we intrigued by right now? You know, it's not, uh, there's not, there's, there's the no chemistry. like compelling, right. But Danny, before I kind of want to do like a, around the horn housewives, like kind of touching base on all of them. But before we get to that, I am, I do want you to speak a little bit to like, when you think about your career, big picture, you know, you obviously have everything iconic, which is so popular and it leans heavily into Bravo, but it is, a, it is also just generally a pop culture podcast. You have other people on for interviews and things like that. And I'm curious how you balance sort of wanting to be known for the Bravo at all and the commentary in that capacity while also being a place where people can come for commentary about other things. Like how do you balance those two, those two kind of endeavors? I think I'm always kind of figuring it out, but the thing that I hold closest to is just to do what I like to do. And so I, I think there was a time maybe a few years ago where I was more concerned with like, is my podcast a Bravo podcast or am I interviewing celebrities? And, and then ultimately I was like, you know what, I'm just doing what I like. And then the people will come if they like it too. And so I, there are a lot of people that I know listen to my show for the guests and they don't like the Bravo stuff. So they'll tune in every once in a while when I have a guest on that they're interested in that's outside of the Bravo universe. And then other people get really mad when I release episodes that aren't recaps. And I try to balance it. A lot of the times the guests are, I'm able to pre-record them. And so if yeah. I have to take a week off or something, it's like, I don't know if people realize those logistics sometimes where it's like, if I'm not recapping, it's not necessarily because I am trying to ignore the Bravo world. It's just, I have other, other stuff going on. Yeah. And so, and actually when I was in Vegas, this is, I don't know if I've shared this before, but um, when I did like a signing in Vegas right before BravoCon the day before, and it was so gratifying because uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a, an author on my podcast, R.L. Stein, who wrote the Goosebumps books. And I know that's not what people would necessarily always come to my podcast for, uh, especially the Bravo listeners. Uh, but it was so gratifying because I was doing the signing and there were three different uh, women or, or parents that had brought their sons to the signing and the sons of, they were like probably seven to 12 or so it was these three young boys and um, they were all there separately. And they told me that their mom had let them listen to the Goosebumps episode or the R.L. Stein interview because they were big Goosebumps fans. And it was so gratifying because I was such a huge Goosebumps fan. It was a lot of what got me into reading as a kid and and got me interested in creative writing. And so it was a dream interview of mine. So it came out. And of course, uh, I think a lot of the listeners are like, what is this it's about? But it, it, then it felt so good to hear yeah. from these young kids. And That's so I, it was like a, a moment where it's like a reminder to just say, go with your gut. And, and I, I'm lucky that I'm independently produced. So I really only have the people I want to have on. I'm not beholden to guests. And so I can just do them when I want to have someone on. There have only been a handful of times I've interviewed people where I wasn't interested. It was maybe a, a favor to someone or or it yeah. was because I thought maybe it was a name that would do well. And I feel like those are always the worst ones. So I just try to do what I want to do now. Yeah, I, I think that's... Uh... That's uh, to me something I love about you is that people can your kind of passion for these things just is so infectious. Like it's very obvious the things that you really care about. And you know, that's why people 
one reason why people really love listening to you. Well, Gibson, and I'm curious, you do you do it so well too. I'm wondering what's your answer to that question? Like, how do you balance sort of the Bravo and everything? Because you also expand beyond the Bravo universe. Yeah, it's the, it's. I have probably a similar answer, and like it's it can be frustrating because it's sometimes when you want to step out of that, it doesn't do as well. It doesn't perform as well necessarily, but like I did a whole episode with, with uh, Sammy Sage, who's, who's from Betches. And we talked all about Taylor Swift for 45 minutes and that did really well. But like, sometimes when you want to tweet about other things, like that just, it's not what people are necessarily following you for. But I think, you know, I, you just put it out there and like, you'll find if, it, if it's going to find an audience, it's going to find an audience. With my books too. That was my big challenge finding a publisher for my last uh, book that came out last year. I was meeting with these publishers and I really thought like with how do I unremember this, my last book, that it was something that would do well and that people would respond to. But every single publisher was like, well, you're a Bravo guy. You should do a Bravo book. And I was like, well, that's not what I really want to do. There were so many times I almost gave up. And then oddly enough, it was Andy Cohen who really, I had interviewed him right after I got all these rejection letters from publishers. And he told me, um, he gave me the advice of like, it just takes one yes. So just, you know, kind of keep pushing forward. And so then it, we submitted to a couple other publishers and and got the book deal and it ultimately did really well. And yeah. I it was like a good reminder to trust the gut too. But of course people, it's so easy for people to put you in a, that box and and yeah. it's like, well, I love, I love the Bravo stuff. Like, of course, I, of course oh my God, that, that's, that's, that's what we've kind of rose up on. But I think, and I feel like for you, like writing some sort of like behind the scenes Bravo book, like that has to come like maybe down the line when like, you're not as entrenched in it. Cause it's like, you want to really be, be able to tell those stories. Right. And then not worry about any of the sort of not blowback, but like opinions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with, um, I love those. I mean, Dave Quinn wrote that incredible Housewives and Brian Moylan wrote an incredible book. And, you know, I love reading all of those. Like I will eat any of those up. Like give me, I don't know why we need them on every show, not just Housewives. Like I want to see the oral history of, of a lot of these other shows. Okay. So let's talk about Housewives. I, you know, I, I want to just go briefly again through every franchise quickly and just like check in. What are we feeling? What's okay. working? What's not working? Let's start with Beverly Hills. Andy Cohen called it the crown jewel of the network like last year, I think. And which feels right to me. How are you feeling about this season? You know, I'm, I was very pessimistic going into the season because I was worried about all the Kyle and Mauricio stuff that wasn't really landing to me when it was in the press. And then it's landing better on the show. Um, also, I was concerned they didn't have anything else. And uh, this week with like that Sutton stuff and Sutton at, in Las Vegas, I felt like, okay, we're on a good track. So even though I, I hated what, Sutton has been giving the past couple of weeks, but I also think it's so important for the show. Like, I think she's doing a really good job of like being that housewife that we need. And I feel similarly with Larsa on Miami where it's like, yeah, yeah they're being extremely unlikable. <laughs> they are, they couldn't be a more unlikable. Somebody has to, but it's like good for the shows. Like these are good housewives for the shows, even though a lot of us are infuriated by their actions and everything. It's like, but we need that. And and I think it's like a good level of infuriating where it's acceptably infuriating. But of course, it's still infuriating. And it's something that they'll inevitably apologize for at the reunion or something. And, and we'll probably accept those apologies. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Like Sutton yeah. was nuts at Magic Mike, but I loved <laughs> it. And it's like, that's what we want. It was like a bottle episode just about that outburst. And I loved it. It was it was it was great. So the Kyle Mauricio stuff is working for you. It's working better on the show. I don't need I don't need to hear from Mauricio. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what I realized. It's actually this morning, I saw some clip on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, where he was giving some interview or like saying that people are speculating too much about the thing, his marriage. And I was like, just shh. Like, I don't need, that's my problem with it. Like, just get <laughs> off. I don't want them in the press. Like, I just want to see it play out on the show. And then I don't think I'd be ex as exhausted by it. But also I just kind of am interested in hearing from Kyle. Like now- now that I have to hear from Mauricio and he's on the Netflix show and on Dancing with the Stars, I'm like, it's, I'm not into it. Yeah, it was kind of, it was that thing where it's like, they were saying like, stop speculating, whatever, but then still doing paparazzi walks and like talking about on podcasts and things. I think it we need the show as sort of the central vehicle to give that information. And my revelation came when she was on Watch What Happens Live after the premiere and she, Andy basically just like threw all these questions at her and it. I, wa I watched that and I was like, you know what? Kyle's being very honest with us. She can't help herself. That's why she's been on this show for so long. Like she just is, it's in her bones to just like be open and like answer those questions, even if she shouldn't. And like, so I believe her when she says she's not necessarily romantic with this Morgan person or like whatever. I, in that moment, I was like, all right, this show is going to give us the clarity that we need. 
I'm starting to believe her more and more. But the one thing that that Watch What Happens Live episode that you're referring to bothered me was like she she was doing that actory thing with Andy as he was ask, asking those questions. Like, Andy, I can't believe you're asking me all these questions. Right. Like, this yes. is so hard. And it's like, girl, like you're on a reality show about your life. Like it's in every headline and you're on premiere night. Like, of, of course, he's asking you all these questions. Like, let's yes. not pretend like you're so let's shocked. Not pain. And, yeah. and also they prep you beforehand. So it's not like these are surprises, but it was, so that was annoying me. I'm like, yes, Andy, I can't believe you're going there. Oh, and <laughs> like, Kyle, you've been doing this since birth. Like you big yeah, cat was popping in your room and interviewing right. you uh, for a <laughs> fake interview for the make Mike Douglas show or some shit like that. Like you've, you've know this world. Yes. Yeah. Let's not pretend, but ultimately I do kind of feel like she is genuinely kind of being open with us. I also have to say, I did not expect to be on board with Erica Jane. Bamboozle Jane is winning me over this season. I'm sorry to say this might not be popular, but it's true. I, I noticed her doing the fan work at BravoCon last year. She was doing a lot of the mixed housewives panels. She was giving, she was giving fans the kind of shade and, and, and kind of performance that they want from her that we've loved from her before the whole thing happened. And I, that's, that explains the Dorit and PK comment that she made on Watch What Happens Live. And you know what? The, the fan service is working for me as well. I'm, I'm back yeah. on board. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, she's a showgirl. She's a, she's a showman, baby. And Gibson, I haven't been covering uh, Beverly Hills because I've been traveling. So I do have to say one more thing. Uh, Dorit not having the glam this season is like shocking. And I don't know that enough people are really like, maybe people are and I'm just missing it. But it's like earth shattering that it is. Dorit went to dark hair, I believe, to because it's easier upkeep. And she said she doesn't have the glam in Vegas. Like there's money issues abound. And we must not, that cannot go amiss. I've 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 seen some whispers about this theory, and if Crystal's having glam come to the trip to Vegas and Dorit's not, there is definitely something amiss. I agree. I saw frizzy hair on Dorit this past week. Like it was for it was for it was she very clearly did not have any glam. Like the hair and the outfits just aren't the makeup. It's she still looks stunningly beautiful. Of there's course. nothing against that, but, but it's a there's big something difference. amiss, and it's, and it's uncharacteristic. It's uncharacteristic. Absolutely. All right, Potomac, best ratings in years. I am glad this whole season is not going to be about the Robin and Juan stuff. I'm just like, mainly, not necessarily because I'm not interested in it, because I feel like he just does not want to play ball and is not going to be tr- truly honest about things. Do you agree with that? Do you Are you happy we're not kind of leaning in on that completely? Yeah, because also I don't even feel like there's an authenticity to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that whole thing with Robin and Giselle's podcast made us all very skeptical about like how protected they, or how protective they are on the show with their relationship. So although I do think Robin has been opening up and wanting to be honest, and I think the network and Andy and all these people probably said, look, if this yeah, is going yeah. on, you need to share it. I still, there's still that tinge of uh, feels inauthentic because of how that played out at the end of the last season. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad. And, and it's such a stack cast that I'm, I'm just happy to kind of play around and, in that play playground with them and just watching Karen Huger and Giselle interact and, and Candace and Ashley, like there's so yes. many good dynamics on there. And now I'm, I'm excited by uh, the new housewife. Is it NECA? NECA. Um, and Wendy, I think that's going to be an interesting thing happening on the show. So, and Mia, all, everything that's going on with her <laughs> yeah. is crazy. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that, good it's, about... it's hard. It's hard to touch down on that though, because talk about like not sure about what we're being honest about. Like that's just hard to really. I don't know. <laughs> There's something about Mia that is so inauthentic. Like, I mean, I think everything she does, but it makes me love her more. Like most housewives, if they were coming across the way Mia has the past couple of years, I think I would be like, they're not being honest or they're trying to hide things but with her i just like I, something about her i love i don't know I'm there's sorry, something that's it. all it's almost a parody of a housewife almost you know what mm-hmm. i mean i think that's it's where i think larsa has elements of that too but i think we but mia takes it to the extreme so uh, gibson i'm like obsessed with larsa right now i know i brought too. her up early but it's like what she's giving is so absurd and it's absurd it's like so a, a, fun welcome, to watch. a welcome back party after five days away like uh, please you can't you can't give i mean you can't script that kind of thing like and then that's probably what i love so much about sutton and larsa and some of these more absurd housewives is like you just can't they're not able to control the narrative like they're just they're doing the best that they can but 100%. it doesn't feel controlled no no and i think that like let I me mean, let's talk about miami so like that that's also airing right now and like we're early in the season and 
you know, I think one thing that I love about them is that they they feel like a group that has actual bonds and, you know, they're willing to move forward. Like even Alexi, I was surprised that Alexi agreed to move forward with Adriana so quickly. And I'm again, that to me shows that she's a pro. She knows that she has to move forward. Marisol is not. But like Adriana is the same kind of person where it's like, she just can't help herself. She's she's already yeah. sort of like poking the bear with Alexia, even though they're supposed to be on good terms. Adriana gives us so much good TV. So much. And it's like, I, the fact that she's a friend of is upsetting to me, but also- she just should be applauded. Like she plays the game really, really well. Also, one of the things that I think we should all keep an eye out for is Marisol and Alexia. Like I do feel like they're in the premiere. There was like a little tinge of something between the mm-hmm. two of them because Alexia had, it seemed like there was something in their relationship. And I had I hosted the Miami panel. And I at the first question I asked was about that because I've also maybe heard some whispers, but they seem to be on a united front and like looked at me like I was crazy. Like when I said, is there something going on with you two? How are you two doing? It was as if like the Marisol saw a ghost or something. I was like, I, I felt like crazy for asking then, but I still believe there's something a brewing. I, I'm with you. There, there's a hint of that, but it's not surprising that they're not going to go there. Even though we saw, I feel like for like a second on the girls trip season that they did together, there was like a little bit of that towards the end. But like, I completely agree. I saw that in this premiere. I think my theory, and this could be completely made up in my head, but my theory is that like Alexia probably is a little more interested in veering away from the friendship and Marisol is not because perhaps it is better for her on the show if if she has that kind of um, united front with Alexia. That's my theory. And And they have that podcast together, I think. And like, it's, I think Marisol is playing a dangerous game by not trying to move forward with Adriana. I don't know. It just feels like her in is Alexia. You're right. But it's like, if she doesn't have any tie to the group, it just feels like kind of very negative from her. Like the vibes from her these days are really negative And I don't love that. And I don't want, uh, I want to see Alexia outside of that friendship too. Like I, I am excited to see her and other sides of Alexia. And yeah, yeah. Totally. I lo- yeah, I love Julia. Too. I mean, I yeah. love the Miami. Oh my God. All, I love all. I love every single one of them. Every single one yeah, of them serves too. a purpose on that show. Salt Lake is also airing right now. It's I feel like it is having a perfect season, honestly. It's like it's I feel like the core four of that show, Lisa, Meredith, Heather, and Whitney, are sort of becoming the core four of Potomac in a way where like the dynamics mm-hmm. always changing. They're down for it. I mean, Monica has been like a chaos agent and, and, and her mom in a great way. Salt Lake. Give me the, the top the top level details of of what you're feeling. I think Mary is so good as a friend of, and of course she mm-hmm. does not seemingly want to film this show, but I love every scene that she does. And yeah, I just think you're right. Those core four, the changing dynamics is so important for any Housewives franchise. It's like we like when there's a, a two people that maybe love each other unconditionally, but for the most part, I think it keeps us more invested when they're changing who their alliances are with. And so seeing like the show start with Lisa and Meredith and then Mm -hmm. them having falling out and Lisa and Whitney having a falling out and then becoming friends. And I don't know, it just keeps things really fresh. And, and it does feel like that whole show feels like a parody of housewives in the best way, but yes. uh, And it, it it delivers to me the, um, the, the whiplash that I used to get from the original Roni where every scene, it feels like what just happened. It's crazy. It's, you can't even wrap your head around some of the scenes sometimes. Like, I mean, this past week, Lisa Barlow, being brought in to sing her hit song away in a manger. I mean, it was like and then rapping. so nuts. It was like also nuts. And I, I feel like nobody really even was able to breathe in how nuts it was because but then five minutes later, Heather Gay is like making me tear up, like reading from her book. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's then there's wild. a scene where like Mary just is calling Heather inbred and it's like, what? Like, and, and it happens. She says, yeah, you look inbred and then everybody just sort of moves past it. It's like, exactly. wait a minute. And then like, they're like, and then they're happened? like, thank God we're in a good place. Thank God we're in a good place. I'm like, what? I just watch. And I think that Monica has been a good addition too, because she has this, she's very green. I think she just like is down to put it out on TV. She's down to, to mix it up. I mean, her thing with Lisa at the sound bath is to oh, me like so an instantly good. iconic scene. And I've watched it a lot, but at BravoCon, I think one of my biggest takeaways was that she is, completely ostracized from the rest of the cast nobody wants anything to do with her which obviously makes the reunion incredibly intriguing but i also like think that they need to push like meredith or somebody to be a bridge for her to the cast if they want to keep her around otherwise it's like who is she even filming with next year 
And Meredith knows how to do that because she's still pretending that she's friends with Mary. And I exactly. don't believe they've ever spent any time together off screen. Off camera. It yeah. always feels like they're meeting for the first time. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. And but, Meredith's but, but, always but Mary like, Mary oh, really likes friends. her and that's why it works. Exactly. She yeah, doesn't like yeah. very many people. Do you like, do you like Angie K for the show? Are you down for her full time? I got to be very honest with you. I thought she was flopping so hard. And now I, I'm, now I'm like, okay, I love Angie K now. Like I, <laughs> what change? I maybe just got used to her or something. I don't know what it is, but at least the past week, it hasn't been long, okay. but the past week I've been like, oh, okay. I love her now. And love that. Okay. And maybe I'm just like loving the show. I think also that sound bath fight really got me on board with Angie K. Cause she was her being in the middle of it just was cracking. Literally. Me up. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm getting a soft spot for her. I didn't really love Lisa at the beginning of her show. And now I'm like obsessed with Lisa Barlow. Oh, I love so, Barlow. Yeah. So I think um, that's what's fun about watching Salt Lake is I feel like all of those women, I I feel like I don't like one time and then I love them. And so as an audience yeah. member, my allegiances are sort of changing, which is really fun. But I just think that show is so good. But I understand how it's hard for people who maybe don't watch like we do, where we're taking notes or talking about this all the time, because it does move so quickly and it is so crazy that I see how, uh, you know, Beverly Hills is so accessible to people. And I always think that's why the, the ratings reflect that in a lot of ways, but it's maybe not necessarily if I'm recommending housewives, like I'm going to say, watch uh, Salt Lake city, watch Miami. Um, but more people will tune into Beverly Hills because it's easier to watch while you're folding your laundry and it's not moving as quickly. Yeah. It operates at a slower I, pace. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I love so much about Salt Lake is it's moving quickly. Yeah. I think for me, it was like Salt Lake. I was so worried because it felt like it was, a, it was shining so bright and so quickly. But I think that Jen, Jen being taken out of the equation was probably the best thing to ever happen to it. And they're having their best season yet. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. They're in a good place. Yeah, I think uh, Salt Lake will have a, a good, uh, remember how Potomac sort of had this ratings resurgence a couple seasons ago? And I think it was maybe the season where they had Nicki Minaj host. It just felt like culturally yes. everybody finally kind of got on board with Potomac. So true. And I just feel like Salt Lake, of course, we had that big Jen Shah moment that culturally was... Uh, was widespread, but I don't know. I just feel like we'll have Salt Lake still has that in their future. I think so too. I'm, I'm, I totally agree. Okay. Orange County, we're coming off a return to form. I, I believe that we saw that everyone was asked back. I'm pretty sure. And I'm happy about that. Even like Gina and Emily who like gets, they get so dunked on online. Like I'm like, I'm down for them to be there. Um, what do you hope for, for next season? Yeah. Well, with the casting, I think what's important is that it's hard to cast Orange County. We've heard producers say that. We've heard, I believe Andy has perhaps said it in interviews, the women I've heard say it. And so I do believe that because with something like New York, it's a, it's a huge city and, and it's easier, I think, to bring in people. But Orange County is like a small area and I it's not as easy to just get someone to like move to Orange County for a TV show. Like on right. New York, yeah, they can get Jessel or whoever to move to the city for the TV show. <laughs> But on Orange County, I think it is hard to cast. And we've seen so many people coming in and out. And so with Hip and Casita, as I lovingly refer to Gina and Emily, it's like, yeah, we should keep them around because look at all the other flops. Like maybe maybe this is like, this is uh, best we can do. And like, let's embrace that. And let's just enjoy Orange County for what it is. So that I, I am happy that the cast is back. Um, and for next season, what was your question? Did I answer just like what, what, what do you do? You, are you happy it's remaining the same? Like, do you, oh, yeah. what, what kind of dynamic are you kind of intrigued by the way we saw like a hint of at the reunion or something? I just think I would like to see Vicky back full time uh, personally. And I think we just have good anchors on that show. I think with Tamara and Heather and Shannon, uh, and then if Vicky's back, it's just such a strong core. And then I think Jen and Ryan, there's like a lot of layers to uncover mm -hmm. still there that, are interesting. And then, yeah, I, I think Hip and Casita are great as the ancillary characters too. And so I just feel good about it. Yeah. yeah. Were, you, were you on the Heather to join Beverly Hills train ever? No. Me neither. No, no, I don't think she, I just think she's good on Orange County. Like let's, it, finally, I felt like we had an, a good Orange County season after probably five or something that were terrible, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Uh, so it's like, let's keep things how they are. And embrace and Heather just works really well and also offers like a different perspective for Orange mm -hmm. County. So the other yeah. sort of the other X factor that I've seen like theories about, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but the idea you, you just mentioned people like aren't really going to move to OC to maybe be on housewife. But I think somebody who would do that is Teddy. I don't really, I don't want to see it, but I'm like, I'm just curious if that's ever going to be something they do down the road. 
I don't think so. Okay, good. I don't believe I, that. I'm down for that. That's. I don't know. Do you? I do you think? I don't think that. that. It's just something that we. I would talk to Rachel Lindsay, and we kind of threw it out there because it's like she listed her house. Like she's really good friends with Tamara. I think she lives closer to the OC now. So it's and you know that she's really wants to be a housewife. So it's interesting, but I, I don't want to see it. I could be wrong or reading into things, but it doesn't feel like the network really likes her, right? No, I agree. I, I think it's I'm. I think they give two T's a lot of leeway just in, in their access and things like that, which is interesting to me, but um, it'd be, it'd be a dangerous game to have like Tamara and Teddy both on housewives and hosting that podcast together. I think it would be a weird situation. Not to kind of veer us off track here, but I'm so surprised that Bravo hasn't like done their own podcast network. And I know it's like outside of what they traditionally do, but it seems like such a, a lost money cause because all of these housewives have, these podcasts and if they had a network like bravo would be making bank on i agree well uh, they just they, they just launched one with alex baskin like literally last week the producer of uh Punk oh, rules and beverly hills yeah. and he he had kyle on i'm not really sure i think it's like a i think it's like a paywall kind of situation i think it's just him but i agree i think it's like iheart has all these like bravo duos hosting forgettable podcasts but like <laughs> they're making money off of them yeah, like that. I know two T's does really, really well. And yeah. so, but a, a lot of them do, not all of them, but so, you know, a lot of them do really, really well. And so it seems like such a missed uh, yeah. opportunity for the I'm network. With you. I'm with you. Yeah. New Roni. I, I think it had a really solid start, a solid cast overall, but it petered out for me toward like sort of in the back half. It was interesting to see, like, they had a really amazing reception at BravoCon, like just the stars of that show and people like were, I mean, there was a line to get into that panel. Um, what do you want to see for the second season of the reboot? Um, and what do, you, what do you think we'll see? Well, I uh, I love the cast, but I did not care for the season. And I just thought it was boring and nothing really memorable to me. But I love the women. And so, yeah. and I think that we're in such good shape for season two. And I'm very excited about the next season. Uh, and my hope is that we see just more interpersonal dynamics between the women. I think they were getting to know each other and figuring out how the everything works. But we have such a good cast of characters. Like I thought, I loved Bryn. I love Jessel. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if Jenna will be back, which I don't I, think she really, will be. I don't think she will be either. And I'm fine with that. Like yeah, me too. I don't know that she wants to be there. So let's not have someone who hates to be there. So yeah, I think we're in good shape. I don't know. Uh, but I love Brynn. I'm obsessed with Brynn. <laughs> no, Brynn is a huge star. I think that she's the, probably the biggest star on the cast, honestly. I think Jessel got that distinction in this season, but I actually think that Brynn has the most potential and the biggest kind of star power. But I, I just need, like, more bodies. I need more women in that. Like, I mean, towards the end, it was just it was just Jessel and then Versailles and Aaron for, like, five episodes. And we're it's like, we need some more, we need some more dynamics happening here. And by the way, that was their fault. Like, I think it was the network's fault for stretching all that shit out to 16 episodes. So it's like, I don't know. It made them all look bad, I thought. And and so I I didn't really understand those decisions. But and also towards the end, the reunion was weird to me. It was really weird. One of the strangest reunions we've ever seen. I don't know. It it was like both sleepy and then also group therapy group therapy and which is good for like one part of a reunion maybe but it just felt like what are we doing here I and that's another note too like I I want to see more interpersonal dynamics so like whether that be feuding within the group or loving each other within the group just like more interpersonal dynamics and then also more fun like both more drama and more fun I need to see because it felt like there, no one was really having any fun there I agree but I think now that they've actually like known each other for a year and a half at this point like they'll they're now they're like actually they actually have relationships with one another whereas before they were the season was just about them getting to know each other in a way that like okay we should have done this maybe in before the filming yes yeah. exactly and yeah and then i got mad that it was presented to us like this uh group of people who knew each other and had dynamics and i don't know i thought the presentation was just a, a messy and yeah yeah they'll, yeah they'll figure it out I feel like I keep saying I hated the season and then people get mad at me. I get DMs <laughs> like, I liked it. I thought it was refreshing, whatever. And I think that's great. I just, um, I think it could have been much better and it wasn't on the the gals. Yeah. I, and I, I think, think, and you're, you're acknowledging the fact that like they have so much potential. It just wasn't it, the, the, the equation wasn't set up correctly. And Gibson, I feel like I'm like confused. I'm like, what, what was so good? 
good about it. Like I, it was maybe fine. I can understand when people, <laughs> I could see people saying it was fine or it was refreshing. I understand that adjective, but I don't necessarily think it was like great TV or memorable TV. Like I can't think of really one or two memorable moments. It's like, I liked the first like probably four to five episodes. I liked the the, the bleeping out of catch. I liked the Tribeca up and coming thing. I liked those things that felt like really petty and low level, but they just yeah. never like evolved past that. And that's why I, that's what I have a problem with. Yeah. Yeah. Surf kind yeah. of surfacey. Yeah. Totally. But we love the gals that I'm excited. We love the gals. We love two. the gals. A tougher one that we, I don't think we need to spend too much time on because it's unclear what the future of Real Houses of Atlanta kind of looks like. I mean, it's coming off its worst season. I We haven't heard much about what it's going to look like going forward since that like one report came out that they're going to do a big reshuffle. Drew dropped out of BravoCon last minute, which to me is very telling. What does the future of Atlanta look like for you in a dream world? Yeah, you know, I'm, I do think Bravo is going to start experimenting more with full reboots or most rebooted casts and that is um exciting and scary because Mm -hmm. it's like you know we just don't know what the chemistry will be like if they're bringing in a whole new cast or even if they're doing a mostly rebooted cast where maybe they keep candy or one or two people and then reboot around them that i think is is tricky because you just don't know what the chemistry will be but i think they do need a shift i don't know the last season I, i didn't care for atlanta and I'm not sure exactly what it was. It just felt like a weird uh, casting or something. I don't know what it was. It, it was a lot of things. I think and to me, it's like, you know, you have these, you have big stars on that cast, Kenya, Candy, Marlo, but like Candy and Kenya don't want to engage with Marlo. And so it, it, there's a huge blockage there, which I think is really honestly, like th- they've been on these shows long enough to know that like that does not end well when you, when you kind of ostracize somebody or try to ostracize somebody like that. I don't know. I agree. It's it's really unclear how to move forward, but they need to at least bring on like bring on three to four new people. I don't know. Yeah, I, I get back scared. Portia. I would love for Portia to be back. I do get scared about like losing people because I'm like I, I know me too. I don't want to lose Kenya. Like I love Kenya on TV, so the idea of a full reboot or or, or losing Kenya like that scares me. I agree. Gibson. I agree. No, I, I'm I'm <laughs> or with Candy you. I too. Just, I'm like I I don't want to lose Candy. It's but it's not the show without them, right? I I personally don't think like uh candy and is like an anchor of the show like i want her there and i love her on and i love her as a housewife i don't know i feel like they need a nucleus and especially last season i think candy's so busy that she had a lot going on and that was a huge issue too that was a huge issue to me too yeah 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 so it felt like she wasn't around as much even though she might have been at every event it always felt like she had kind of one foot out the door and so i agree it's hard with her being a nucleus and and Actually, when I think about it, like it felt like a lot of them kind of had other things going on and I need them all to focus on the show. And you got injured on both the cast trips and like miss couple days or like it was just it was weird. The whole thing was weird. And I agree. Um, but they they need to retain them. I just don't know who the the kind of peripheral people should be. Yeah. Do you think um, anyone should come back if if they were to keep the same cast? And because there's these rumors about Kim Zolciak or I know uh, he's bringing old people back. But I think before the Kim and Croy stuff was happening, I kind of w- would have advocated for Kim to come back just to like see how that went. But I'm not interested in the Kim and Croy stuff. They've gotten divorced like eight times already oh in like gosh. the past two months. And I just, it's too, it's too dark to me. And I think that there's too much, like a little bit desperation there to to have probably the income. I would love to see Portia back. I don't know if she wants to, but to me, she is like, she would bring that sort of anchor. I think that she became towards the end of her run. Uh, that's what I, that's who I want to see come back. And I love the Porsche Kenyan dynamic. Same. It's so that. good. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay. Jersey remains as divided as ever. I was kind of hesitant about the fact that they were bringing Teresa and Melissa back, but I feel like everything we've heard and seen kind of indicates that it, the next season is not going to be about their dynamic. There's other, there are other things going on. Jackie's best friend with Teresa now. It seems like Teresa's feuding with, with feuding with the Fudas. Where do you stand on Jersey? Tell me, tell me your thoughts. I was nervous about next season for the same reasons. I think they should have gotten rid of one of the two of them to switch up the dynamics. And, and maybe I think they were just going to try to see how it goes this season. And then next season they would make that decision. Um, But everything I've heard from, you know, how you hear whispers from like production and, and stuff. Like I've heard really good things about the season. Me too. And I wasn't expecting that. And, and not, um not necessarily like, publicly like kind of i've heard whispers behind the scenes that uh, people that i trust and stuff who say really great things about the season so it doesn't seem like it'll be good to me but then 
when I hear things, I'm like, okay, actually, maybe I do have (laughs) this, like this lingering simmering feeling that they could the following season bring in Dorinda to New Jersey. And this might be the craziest thing ever, but uh, they were supposed to film at Dorinda's Bluestone Manor uh, this season. And then there was like a fight. Yeah, they were supposed to, they ended up canceling the cast trip because uh, they were going to go to the Berkshires and stay somewhere else, but then like go to Bluestone Manor. And then there was like a fire, the place they were supposed to stay at. And so they had to cancel that last end of the season trip but then also I noticed like Dorinda's tours with um like Dolores and uh, mm-hmm. Jennifer and Teresa. And I don't know. I, I just feel like there's there the, the seeds are being planted there and I might be totally off base or crazy. And I haven't even actually it. heard this from anybody in power. It's just a theory. <laughs> right. It just right. I feel like it's simmering. And I'm like, well, the, that's interesting. They would bring they would have the gals go to Bluestone Manor on Jersey. And then also they're friends and it's not too far of a distance. And Dorinda sort of feels Jersey to me. I don't know. That's yeah. No, she, she could, honestly, I would support it. She can just rent a house like on the, on the waterfront looking at Manhattan, right in Jersey and just, you know, say she lives there. Um, Okay. Lastly, the last franchise is Dubai, which I have, it feels like it's been five years since that first season aired. I don't, I'm having a hard time getting excited for a second season from them. Do you care? What do you think about it ever? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I'm like, I'll, I'll watch. Of course, I'll watch. Of course, I'll these. watch. Yeah, I didn't really think season one was great, but again, it was a first season, so they're getting mm-hmm. to know each other too. Salt Lake City, I thought, delivered such a great first season, Housewives, and so I don't know. I just wasn't over the moon about Dubai, but I, there, I'm excited to see what happens. But I don't know. I, I haven't really heard much about season two. Have you? No, I, I've only heard. I mean, to me, like there are a couple stars on that Sam Barry is a star Chanel Ion I like Lisa Milan I the only thing I've heard about it is that Lisa and and Chanel Ion who were best friends in the first season are have a falling out that's all I've heard so which is interesting but again I just feel like that aired so long ago so I don't even like remember what the dynamic was on that cast they need a little buzz I don't know what that where they they try to drum it up at BravoCon by having the by having by showing the first episode and things like that but I'm like I didn't even attend it Gibson, I haven't heard, I know they showed the first episode, but I really haven't heard many people at all talk about whether it was good or I've bad zero or anything. people talk about it. Yeah, it's just zero. like, was there. And so, yeah. and then also I haven't heard not one thing, no whispers about it being good or bad, just like nothing, nothing. Which is, which so is it's like, I mean, well, you want, you want to feel some type of way about something, either negative or positive, but it's indifference yeah. is tough. Well, Danny, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking the time. I, I do want to say before you go, I mean, I just want to thank you for being such a big supporter of mine over the years. Like I remember like when you encouraged people to follow me on Twitter, like five years ago, and like it, it kind of helped me kind of grow my platform and you came on my first podcast early on. So thank you for being such a good, a nice and supportive person in this, in this world, which I don't think is very competitive, but it's like, I just, it's, it's so nice to kind of have your cosign because it, it just means a lot to me. Thanks Gibson. Well, I love you and I'm, I'm so appreciative for you too. And I, yeah, I, what's so great about this, our little kind of Bravo podcast world is everyone is so supportive. And and I learned that from, you know, people like Casey and Danielle or Ben and yeah. Ronnie from Watch What Happens or Two Judgy Girls or whoever, K- Casey. There's so many people that I just feel lucky that we're all in this little grouping and it doesn't feel like people are trying to tear each other down. Although I do know that sometimes these fights on podcasts, they help with the ratings and stuff. So if you ever want to start a fake feud, we can do that too. <laughs> I'm but, down. I'll, let's okay. check it in a couple of months. Um, <laughs> I don't think well, I'd be good enough acting. With, no, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, will everyone get the jolliest bunch? I promise it is an incredible holiday read. It, it will give you the It'll get you in in tune with the holiday spirit and it's, you'll laugh, you'll cry. And it's just such a special collection of stories. So Danny, thanks for putting it out in the world. Thank you, Gibson. I hope people pick up the book. I mean, it really is a a dream come true. And I personally really love the book. And uh, you know, it's sometimes you work hard on something and then by the end you're like, I don't like it, but I love this book. And it's exactly the thing. I'm so proud of it because it's exactly creatively the thing that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I really hope people get it, either the hardcover or uh, it's on audiobook, so I hate to beg, but you know, if you're looking for something to cheer you up over the holidays, please pick up the Jolliest Bunch, and you might be surprised. You might be thinking, "What the fuck is this book?" But hopefully, you'll read no. it and then laugh and cry and enjoy it. I'll beg people on your behalf, honestly. Thank I'll, you, I'll... <laughs> Danny, thank you so much, and we'll talk again soon. 
Thanks, Gibson. Wait, we didn't wait. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, wait. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. You're in Mexico. You're in Mexico. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You did say you want. Can to you talk at least this. like tell the people, I'm, or are you going to do that? No, yeah. No, I can. We can talk about it quickly. I am in Mexico in Cancun because I was supposed to come for Lindsay and Carl's wedding, and I canceled my hotel, but couldn't cancel my flight, so I'm at a random hotel in Cancun. Like I think Kyle and Sheena and all of them are at the actual wedding hotel. Um, and so I'm just living my best solo life over here, but it was, it was supposed to be a very different weekend. Can you tell me like, what was the, what was the communication been like from the wedding party? Have they said anything? So nothing for two weeks, the news broke, not, there was total radio silence. And then I think people published the email that we all got from Carl. That was like, you know, you can, that was when I heard that I could get a refund on the hotel. And that's, I think, where the sort of, that sort of first statement was that he had written on their behalf, I think, without passing it through her. Um, but that is, that was all the communication I've gotten from. So nothing else. Nobody said, hope you, if you guys are there, hope you're enjoying. Not that they need to. No, but- I mean, I've, 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 I saw, I hung out with Lindsay at BravoCon and we'll, we'll, we talk. So like, I've heard from her and just like in general, but um, nothing official, nothing else official, I think, came through. Over email. And have you seen any of the other Bravo celebrities that are there right now that were supposed to go to the no, wedding? No, so, so they're staying. So the 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 hotel was like thirty minutes outside of Cancun, um, and they're all. I guess they all didn't cancel. I wanted my money back because I, <laughs> I needed that that money. Um, but they all are at that hotel. So it's like, I think I think page six is sort of story. It's like Sheena, Brock, Kyle, Gabby. Carl's parents are there, or Carl's mom is there. Um, so this is wild so they, they all they all still went. I know. I think Amanda might be going. Wait, wait yeah. are they filming this for anything? They should be filming that no. for like summer no, they, house or they something. They were going to film. They were going to film the wedding. Obviously, it was going to be like a Teresa episode lopped onto the end. Um, but you know, it's. Uh, are you happy it? that you went? I am. Oh my god, I'm getting a pre-Thanksgiving tan. I'm like, I'm. I like a little solo vacation moment. I I'll, I do at least yeah, one of those a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. Okay. Okay. I need to okay, tell any, any other scoop no, that we need about that. Nothing okay. nothing, nothing I can say. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. Subscribe to Gabbing with Gabe on any podcast platform to listen to new episodes. And subscribe to Gabbing with Gabe on YouTube to watch full-length versions of our interviews. We'd also love your support with a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can follow me at Gibsonoma on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And keep up with all things Gabbing with Gabe at Gabbing with Gabe on Instagram and TikTok. Gabbing with Gabe is an independent podcast hosted by me, Gibson Johns. It's produced by myself and Riley Dabbs. Graphics are by Rachel Roth and our cover art photography is by Troy Hallahan. If you want to reach out about guest bookings, sponsorship, or advertising opportunities, email us at gabbingwithgib at gmail.com. Thank you again for your support and see you next time.